Welcome to Sound Mind, the podcast dedicated to thoughtful, compelling conversations with musicians about music. I'm Cameron West. Today I'm speaking with a man who, after a breakup, decided to move to Senegal. Yep, Chris Wettstein is a pianist and composer. Among the things we talk about here are meditation, Morton Feldman, the importance of silence, the difficulty of finding a keyboard in Senegal, of course. And if you listen to the Sound Mind episode, Songs from the Bitterroot, you might notice that at one point here I parrot my friend Taylor Ackley about the idea of shared music. Music shared in person, not on a page. Chris and I discuss what it might look like if more music were written in this shared way, particularly music intended for beginners and experts to play simultaneously. We of course mentioned Terry Riley's In C as one example of such a piece already written. We talk about improvisation and how improvisation inspired Chris to go back to school for teaching. If you aren't finding a direct connection there, stay tuned. And we talk about a great study where researchers put a microphone in the womb. I was very pleased to meet Chris for the first time here. I hope you'll find his travels and perspective as insightful as I did. Please welcome Chris Wettstein. All right, Chris, thanks so much for coming on Sound Mind. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you for having me in your beautiful Astoria apartment here and for introducing me to Cafix. Which I didn't know anything about until now, and now I'm yes. pretty much in love with it. It's like a beautiful mm-hmm. decaf alternative to coffee. I don't know about you, but I tend Welcome to drink. To the fold. I tend to stop drinking coffee around the time I start having a panic attack from all yeah. the caffeine. Mm-hmm. That's about where I draw the line. Yeah, and that's where you can crossfade in the cafex. Yeah. So. so, what have you been up to this week? What have you been up to lately? Music, life. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is an interesting, pivotal time in my life. Well, the work I do is for a couple different sacred communities primarily right now. This interview is actually taking place September 11th, um, a significant date for a couple of reasons, but also uh, it's the second day of Rosh Hashanah. So one of the communities that I work for is a Jewish community based in Western Queens. Um, It's called Malchut, and so I direct the music for them. Big you know, Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year services. A rabbi does some singing. We also have like a group of singers that I direct. Um, And so, yeah, we'll have different people kind of leading different chants, which are kind of these uh, repetitive, uh, meditative types of music. Over that simple musical material, we'll be uh, just seeing how it develops and, uh, and finding our way through it together. And that can be yeah like very meaningful and rewarding and ecstatic and boring and lots of things and so uh, would you say that your role is mainly as a music director that's currently what i'm what i'm doing there's also a church that i've played for that i currently play for and i've played for for about uh six years in the south bronx uh i'm the pianist but more so i I direct the music there and coordinate that those are the ones that i work for i'm a little bit involved with um, a couple of Buddhist organizations, not as much at, in a performing, more of a, um, I, I did some training as a meditation teacher as well. Awesome. Um, so, which is something that I have woven into um, some compositions and, and things that I've done in the past. Um, but yeah, that's not like a paid affiliation with those communities. It's or like a formal role of music director. Um, it's I'm just a member of uh, of a couple of different uh, Buddhist communities in town. 
it's almost a service-based tithe to right, those right. Buddhist organizations. Yeah, 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 a little more like that. I had a fantastic oboist named Beach Carpin on a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Must have been about 10 episodes ago now. And she is a licensed MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction oh. practitioner. Among other things, practices meditation pretty seriously. So very interested in that. How long have you been practicing meditation? I started in 2010, actually. So it's been about eight years. My experience with that has been that it's been pretty impactful, I think, on the music that I make. You know, I'm very interested in the work of like John Cage and uh, like Morton Feldman has been a particular touchstone for me. Yeah, you did an entire East Coast tour of his music, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I was reading about that in 2012. Yeah. Well, tell me about the story for that. How did you end up touring there? And we'll kind of segue that into your other travels, which are absolutely eclectic and pretty right. amazing, too. Well, that yeah. was um, that was a kind of tour that I set up. Um, that was how I moved to New York, um, was I set up a bunch of concerts for myself. And I was living in San Antonio at the time. I wanted to to make the transition to New York and set up some concerts in a number of different states. Mm, and nice. uh, yeah. Um, a little bit of a calling card. Yeah. Uh, what mm-hmm. would you describe Morton Feldman's music like? What's the appeal to you? I have a vivid memory of first hearing his music. Um, it was actually in a classroom setting. We are listening to a lot of different kinds of chamber music and the teacher put on his piece. It might have been the last piece that he wrote called, it was just the name of, I think, four different instruments. It's like piano, viola, violin, cello. It was really interesting because it was just, there was a lot of silence in the piece. Um, you know, you'd have a small gesture and then you'd have, but that silence was somehow like so electric and it was very suggestive compared to the other music that we'd just been listening to in that class, which is much more active and dramatic in some ways. Like this music just really like arrested my attention. And it, it just seemed to be coming from a little bit of, of a different place, that region in between really soft and nothing. I hadn't really heard music like that. Well, between meditation and John Cage and Morton Feldman, it sounds like you have a strong appreciation for silence and yeah. its role in music. Yeah, very much so. And. Jumping back a little further even in your musical history, you traveled to Africa and you had these experiences with Western African roots music. Did well, you... Well, I'm not sure. There was some roots music. That was... Uh, I played with a variety of... I know Buster Rhymes was involved, so <laughs> there must have been some sort of hybrid at some point, but... Yeah. Do you care to talk about your trip to Western Africa and those performances? Sure, yeah. I wanted to travel to a place where there were musicians that I cared about and respected, um, and also a place that I didn't speak the language. How did the trip spawn? Did you just decide to go? You got on a plane and... It sounds a little little random to, to talk about, but my personal experience at the time, I mean, I was actually coming off of a difficult breakup, and I decided to take like the little bit of money that I had saved up and go somewhere different. Um, yeah, but still Senegal. Yeah. So you you upped and went there. Just, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty amazing, and I guess if you don't understand 
the reasoning behind it almost seems like a random choice. But I'm that was, curious. That was a little bit of its appeal for me was that I wanted to go somewhere that I didn't have like a strong personal connection to. Who were the musicians you said you connected with that lived in Senegal or who lived in Western Africa? Carlou D. Mm -hmm. um, I had encountered his music and... Um, kind of a pop singer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Another would be, what is it, the Etoile de Dakar, which is uh, Yosu Ndur, like his, one of his early groups. Um, and they have a kind of music there that's very rhythmic and active in a way that, that is interesting. It's called Mbala, like it's M-B-A-L-A-X. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to a fair amount of that before I went. I met a guitarist there uh, shortly after I got there named Conte. And playing with him, you know, he's somebody who played with a lot of different artists around there. Nice. And how long were you there? How long did you travel there for? Um, I was there for about two months, something like that. Okay. Yeah, a little over two months. Thing. So yeah. what do you think the role of that trip was that sort of random spontaneous almost yeah. you almost think of it like a detour but it's not really a detour because it's had such an impact on your music making what very much what yeah. would you say to somebody coming out of college or coming out of high school do you recommend these expeditions into the soul and into other continents yeah i mean if it's possible what made it really singular for me was that it was a trip into into a place that was really like different from my experience and I don't think you need to go like across the world for that necessarily but yeah for me it was extremely uh, formative to have that experience you know connecting with and eating with and making music with people who yeah had grown up in a different culture and their musical understanding was just different you know aspects of that have really stayed with me that there's one particular kind of guitar playing um, that uh, that Conte, this guitarist that I was doing a fair amount of playing with, he, he's a Ghanaian guitarist and so he told me that this approach kind of came from Guinea but um, there's an especially kind of disorienting syncopated but also it's just like not clear where exactly the downbeat is. I didn't travel to Guinea, but okay. Guinea tr kind of traveled to Senegal. So like, because yeah. Conte was like a well-known Ghanaian guitarist, like if there were Ghanaian artists who were coming through, Conte would often be playing guitar for them. So I got to play with some, a couple of great Ghanaian artists. El Fagio Dara is uh, one that I remember. It, yeah, it, it was interesting being there as a keyboard player. I think the keyboard maybe even more than the guitar has very like western associations and so yeah. in an african context it can seem like i don't know a little bit of an exotic instrument um because if it's equal temperament or just the sonic quality of it is western it's also like a little hard to get a hold of there i when i traveled over there i didn't have a keyboard with me i uh, so when I was over there, I was kind of borrowing keyboards and um, often, you know, playing uh, with these people on like really the kinds of instruments that here in the States you might, you know, find in a elementary school classroom or maybe even not even there. But finding ways to make 
to make music, even on keyboards that didn't always have like touch sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. So you were so ending up on instruments that presumably look a lot so, like a some Casio of them were, yeah. or a... Some of them, yeah, were like that. Um, and then there was one keyboard that I, uh, I got to play on. That, that was a little better that I got to play on when, when I played with Carlo D or like other like bigger gigs. The singers that Conte would play with, like, there would be kind of a chord progression that, that was fairly simple that would be established. And then, um, like, the music could open up in a lot of different directions. So, like, um, okay, so. you know, if uh, the chord progression itself would be relatively simple, but then um, simple in, like, a hospitable sense. So, like, I could join in on a keyboard or, like, you know, it, it could be for any number of instruments. And it, it was also like people could kind of enter at their level. So like yeah. there was room in the songs for like uh, for people to be adding, you know, like more kind of virtuosic elements. Um, but there was also room uh, for for people to just be entering on a more basic level. And so having that kind of like uh, really hospitable uh setting for the music like that's something that was really um stuck with me and that, that's a value that i try and bring into the music that i make yeah we forget in classical music that without this entry level barrier to conservatories to orchestras in a lot of cultures even in america music is shared it's a communal event yeah where people get together grandparents teach their grandkids how to play mm -hmm. they teach them how to sing in most yeah. roots music throughout the world i'm sure but especially american roots um i think it's something that's missing in classical music because we are so good at having these aptitude tests for entry into the next stage yeah or that's true and, and it's also like a real emphasis in classical music on reading which which makes sense and that can all actually be um like that opens up a lot of collaborative possibilities with people the thing is is that i don't think that there's a whole lot of music that's written that has both like super expert parts and like you know more basic notated parts um usually if a piece is written it'll be you know like one or the other a little bit. Oh yeah, you have grades in elementary school, like a grade three mm -hmm. band piece or a grade five, yeah. and every instrument is represented based on the level. Not to say that yeah. that's a bad thing or that there can't be aptitude or mm -hmm. entry levels, but I do think that when we've lost the art of jamming a little bit in yeah. classical music. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some of that. And I mean, it's uh, classical music and I don't know, like the category is so broad that um, I think that there are really great kind of community oriented pieces that take, you know, that are innovative in the way that they reach out to people who may not, you know, that, that they can bring people together. I think like NC by NC. Terry Riley would be right. one or what's mm -hmm. that piece by like John Luther Adams? It's like Inuxuit All of or them. Something. Yeah, Inuxuit. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. like blow into the conch. I did that one. I've done uh, Not Become Ocean. Um, mm. Sela, The Breath of the World. Mm-hmm. That one probably not as much as an Uxuit. An Uxuit, if you can bang on something, you can play an Uxuit right. on certain instruments. Right. Some of the instruments are written for, as you say, a mix of skill levels. Right, right. It's sparse. I'd like to see more of it. Right, yeah. I'd like to see more music written in that sense, and more music that's just 
super inclusive in that way that that's inclusive not just of people who might not identify as particularly musical but also people who do identify as like you know conservatory trained musicians i think mass mocha actually did a musical instrument museum in partnership with bang on a can where you could go and play all of these different instruments and they were absurd yeah Uh, like a huge lute that's as tall as the ceiling and yeah I think that kind of makes the playing field even. You mm-hmm. have people who can really get away with certain <laughs> very dexterous, amazing things because they have a background in music, but then other people are still having fun. Right. Whereas if I gave them a French horn, they might have fun for about a minute and then they yeah. think it's too hard. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. So like playing on a new instrument kind of um, is a sense of discovery for everyone, which is cool. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that makes me really interested actually in like working with children um yeah and uh i find that teaching and like working with with young people who are just encountering you know an instrument for the first time or like just learning uh, a little more about music like that to me is really inspiring you know also as a uh, performer and as a creator you appreciate the revelry that they have for yeah instruments and music making tell us about your gradual shift or maybe it's not a shift maybe it's just more of an emphasis on teaching now. yeah i know when i was exiting college i thought the last place i would end up would be teaching like elementary school or middle school or uh or high school like that to me would have felt like uh, great failure as a musician <laughs> like and I'd also just known a lot of music teachers um, like I didn't have a lot of uh, super positive experiences with um, like classroom music teachers I had some actually um, but not in elementary school and middle school I mostly associate that with like really burnt out like stressed out people <laughs> who, who you know <laughs> I might trace it back to um, Right around the time that I moved to New York, I was really interested in writing. You have some, is it, would you call it songwriting? Would you call it compositions? I found them online. They're very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they're like composed, (laughs) definitely. Um, uh, Written down, you mean? Yeah, 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 written down. And so, yeah, I was just writing very kind of sparse pop classical music that took a turn and I feel like it was actually really related to my playing at this church the most of the music there is improvised uh, or it's contrasting anyway to um, you know really spare kind of minimalist music um, you know very thick uh, more like max type textures of gospel music I don't know just some experience there of the power of improvisation. Like a good thing about playing in a sacred context is that there can be a lot of ambition there to the music that people are there to make. People go there to reach for something more or to be transformed or to like find some change. And did you find that that connected you to teaching, that sort of reveling in the infinite possibilities of improvisation and all of that kind of led you to this space where you see a kid who's never seen an instrument before, maybe they have, and this is the first time they're getting to experiment and play. Right. And Children are very musical. I was just listening, actually, in one of my classes to what it sounds like being in the womb. 
and whoa, what? <laughs> so yeah, that, you, there's a researcher. I, I forget their name, but did they, they like shove a microphone in there. How did they find I, that? I believe so. Like they had a recording device that was able to pick up, you know, what what it sounds like being inside someone like that. How it, you know? Because the ears are actually fully formed. I think by five months. Yeah. So I gotta say though microphones especially the ones we're talking into like if a microphone worked as well as as well as the human ear there would be no oh, reason yeah. for you know there'd be no reason for sound engineers if mics could record at that quality so i wonder yeah. especially with uh, presumably it's under water under fluid mm -hmm. uh, and so what i like the idea yeah. i like that they did it mm -hmm. but i'm curious about how that would really sound if totally you... yeah and that it's almost um... a, a thomas nagel what is it like to be a bat <laughs> sort of thing i <laughs> i like that they did it but yeah i'll need more research mm -hmm. on that but yeah explain more about it though I, I think that like the the broad strokes of it would carry through regardless of like the fidelity and that is that like the heartbeat is so present like and just that rhythm and that um you'd think it would be very loud yeah because it's much louder mm -hmm. underwater than it is yeah above mm -hmm. water yeah so that's that's very present and what comes through from the person who's carrying the baby and like uh is not language like all the consonants and like high sounds get filtered out so you just get the sound of a voice and so like melodies come through perfectly clearly like, in a very resonant space for that any baby coming out will have had four months of contact with the world which is uh musical in nature like that's that's a big part of their experiment experience it's not visual yeah, well, I guess that explains the sort of obsession with playing Mozart in the womb or, right. yeah, or exactly. Beethoven in the womb or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, you said your songwriting kind of took a turn after you discovered improvisation. It sounds like music for you, the, the reveling in what's fun about it mm -hmm. and seeing it for the first time, that kind of wild staring eyes being consumed by it. Yeah. Um, it seems like these are, these are all connected. And uh, is there any way people can find what you've been working on, what you're doing next? Do you have any social media you want to plug? Sure. Um, I mean, you can look up what I'm up to on my website, which is my name, uh, chriswetstein.com, or you can also find it through the name of my uh, composing alias, uh, A Microscope. So, amicroscope.com uh, will take you to the same place. So yeah, that'll have some updates about like where I'm working and, and what I'm doing and that's what I'd say. Nice, well that's very cool. Very excited to meet you finally and hear what yeah. you've been up to, hear what you're gonna be doing and uh, thank you so much for joining me and coming on Sound Mind. Thank you so much, Cameron. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for listening. If you've been enjoying Sound Mind and would like to support it, you can find our website at CameronWestMusic.com soundmind, or you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com soundmind. Oh, no